In this lively episode, Ryan and I discuss Finfluencers, the 50 most popular personal finance books, and what they leave out. And we had fun doing so. Hope you enjoy. Thank you. Welcome to the Making with Life podcast. I'm your host, James Nethery. And I'm your co-host, Ryan Griggs. And here we are, beautiful Saturday morning, Fort Worth, Texas, 20 miles south of Fort Worth, Texas. and uh, Halfway through our two weeks of spring. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did get some rain, thank God. Um, so as usual, you know, I don't have topics, and uh, Ryan spent the last hour looking I wonder at how much the listeners love that. Almost every time we start an episode, uh-huh. it's, hey, we don't have a topic today. <laughs> you know what? There's, uh, And then we I, talk I for it. an hour and a half. So I know. So There's plenty of topics. The listeners know that we're going to talk about really good things, um, and the casual drive-by tire kickers are going to go on. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with that, but it is habitual. You know, I get it. I'll, I'll come up with Habitual's something Habitual is the different. right word, yep. Yeah. Um, okay, well, how have you been, Mr. Griggs? I've been good, you know, since getting the book manuscript submitted on in, in March. Of that took a lot of time. It's unreal how much time. Everyone knows. All the listeners know. They've been waiting for two and a half years. Well, the ones who <laughs> paid attention for longest have been waiting longer than that because it's been like three and a half from oh, okay. inception of the idea to finally submitted. Yeah. And there's still there will be more to be done. Right? There's an initial like editorial review where people who don't understand IBC are going to have comments about the book, and so then I'll incorporate some of those. I'll tax your time and get your opinion. Um, in fact, someone has a draft of the book. Uh, let me tell you what I'm like. You look at my inbox here and see if uh, feedback. Bring there. a cheer to my just uh-huh. reading the uh, introduction or the acknowledgments. I mean, it's like. I'm excited for you, Thanks. and I'm not. I'm not finished with the book. There's no question, but um, I will finish it before the editorial draft. Yeah, it's a lot. I mean, it's sixty five thousand words. Yeah, right now, it's a legitimate book that that uh, the general public needs to have access to, yeah. and the people within the infinite banking footprint, the practitioners, little p, and practitioners, uh, capital P. Um, have no idea what's coming, but I'm telling you, it's good. Um, from what I have read, and, and, and I've, you know, I've been around for the last three and a half years, so I have a really good understanding of what is going to be in there anyway. Yeah. Um, and some of the adjustments that have been made over time, too. Um, there's no, to my knowledge, a work that complete. Mm, thank you. So, I'm well, it, it's certainly whether it's complete or not, we'll find out, but there's certainly nothing doing that right it's not selling ibc it's not repackaging becoming your own banker and trying to develop a brand uh, yeah modifying nelson's work changing it speaking for him yeah yeah i think i'm gonna give the the, there's a publication services company that's involved in helping with the distribution and you know they've allegedly part of their value proposition is like assistance with marketing oh yeah and i'm like oh don't really want that but uh I think I, I might cause their editors to stroke out a bit. I mean, they're going to see, in, like, in the introduction, it says, go read Nelson's book first. Like, this is not yeah. where you come to get sold on IBC. This is to oh. fill the space between catching the infinite banking concept and then implementing it. Like, how to think about how to think about the various things that go into policy design and how to think about 
how to think about that. Like why you would approach the, the, the rationale, the thought process in the first place. This is so perfect because of the few notes that I made, right? Um, and, and, and we generally, I mean, we, we, we cover an awful lot and it's very nuanced and we're very aware of that. And we understand it's long form, you know, and thank you for listening. Okay. And if you're, you know, bothered by me moving my mic or being redundant, you know, my heart goes out to you. I'm okay with that. And I also know that, you know, I speak very slow and uh, simplistic, uh, but I'm worth waiting for. So, um, because one of the little notes that I had made is, is marketing, you know? And so uh, with the other notes, you know, I've had several client conversations, which I always do every week and they're very good. And then perspective client conversations in a lot of those perspective client conversations, this is the initial conversations, right? Um, I am genuinely and continually impressed by some of the marketing things that they listen to that are, just very um, narrow, narrow, very narrowly focused, you know, maybe on high cash values in one year, first year, whatever, initial premiums and the the duration of a premium and the benefits of that is all just left completely out. So um, in what I'm impressed with is how much money someone may be willing to pay to get into the infinite banking concept, to become their own banker, based on such little information, but really good marketing, it has to be really good, mm-hmm. you know. And so, if there's uh, a work that includes how to think about after you've read Nelson's book, is I'm telling you, it's lacking in the industry. It's yeah. lacking in the, uh, the people. We don't have that. You know, we, we can't go out and buy that book anywhere yet. And have, after having gone through the process, I understand why it doesn't exist yet. <laughs> of course. Because it, it was brutal. It's very time-consuming, but it also takes uh, knowledge and experience to even do that. Yeah. Okay, so... Um, well, I think what you're talking about with the being impressed by how quickly people will make decisions based on this gamified click yeah, funnel type stuff. I was listening to... I've mentioned the guy's name before, Patrick Boyle, who's got a... He's a finance professor somewhere uh has has a youtube channel did a video recently here we are april 2023 and he mentioned this paper called the rise of the finfluencer finfluencer (laughs) f-i-n-f-l-u-e-n-c-e-r finfluencer financial influencer by a lady named named Sue guan g-u-a-n at santa clara university school of law i don't I'm sure she's great. I'm sure the paper's uh, really, really wonderful. It's 52 pages, and in the first 10, says nothing at all. But there is the, she does have some <laughs> references. Sometimes academic, we're, and lawyers, God bless them. I mean, I had a great call with a lawyer earlier this week, was stunned, but, I'm, you know, she's a law professor. Yeah, look, so. he's, this is a side note. He sent me a text after he got off that call, and he said, hey, I had a fantastic call with an attorney, and I'm like, oh my gosh, those two words don't normally show up in the same <laughs> sentence. I'm excited to hear about it. <laughs> yeah, so this, I mean, you know, professor and a lawyer, so it's going to take 52 pages to, you know, say not much, but uh, yeah, I like the idea of a you know, put a label on it, the finfluencer. That, sure. That's that's what a lot of this is, is finfluence. You know, a lot of 
there's a she refers to an article where there's a classification of the different magnitude or impact of the different kind of self-styled social media influencers and finance and you know you're a you're a macro influencer if you've got over a hundred thousand subscribers you're a micro influencer everything about economics got to be macro or micro they always have to the the micro influencer has between 10 and a hundred thousand subscribers and the nano influencer (laughs) has under ten thousand so i think technically we're nano okay (laughs) mr nano well i uh i could be wrong but it seems like well and you said the number earlier i don't know 98 how many subscribers are there Nine thousand eight hundred and ish. it seems like there's kind of a barrier to ten thousand, um which is okay um i know the algorithm loves us because our audience our listeners are organic and uh, real? very <laughs> yep they're very real they're organic and they are loyal you know i, I speak with agents and advisors regularly and you know, they are generally always very complimentary. Oh, James, I listen to your podcast. You and Ryan cover a lot of things. And, you know, and I have one too. And and I'm like, okay, well, thanks for the kind words. I've never heard yours. I barely listened to mine. Um, so I know that there are a lot of agents and advisors listening, and we appreciate you as well. Uh, you know, I know that I come across sometimes as being harsh on agents and advisors, but it's all in love. Yeah. Well, to me, in reading this, that that what came across was this, there's this whole gamified sort of presence online that a lot of people who happen to be talking about finance on social media fall into because they think they have to, right? That's how YouTube and Google through the SEO and the algorithms, you know, restrict access and it's all everything around a higher quantity of sales, a higher volume of sales is necessarily good. And so we've got to do whatever's required to increase the volume of sales. Mm-hmm. So goes the thought process. But I and, like. And prior to that, though, is you got to have the click throughs, you know, you got to have the returns. Well, that's why they're and, relevant. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I like this. Pat says, she says, Finfluencers can leverage some of the same behavioral biases to maximize follower engagement. For example, by using colorful graphics and attention grabbing content. Over 20 years ago, Jonathan Lebed found that using exclamation marks and incorporating all all capital letters made his messages seem more exciting and enabled him to generate more interest. Robinhood has become dominant among retail traders because of its fun user interface with features ranging from colorful graphics to confetti that bursts onto the screen to celebrate a trade. Robinhood also leverages stock lotteries and other gamification methods to maximize user engagement. They probably don't in, in leverage their investors' uh money or their accounts you know through hypothecation and overnight or they don't leverage stuff like that right yeah well robin has been sued i mean for (laughs) his major uh stakeholders shareholders uh key parties behind the scenes young men that get suicide because they lost so much money well they get they get the millisecond or however much more lead time ahead of the incoming orders yep. placed through these platforms. Oh, there's something new on Wall Street that goes on, front running? <laughs> oh, okay, Boomer, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Hmm. But, the, you know, this is this is exactly what it is. It's all this gamification and flashiness, and the, there's it's, it's constant content curation and message curation. It's how do we, rather than just showing up in 
saying what we have to say and explaining it in a way that best communicates the message. It's how do we how do we craft the medium to fit what will best perform with the algorithms. It, and it that's does work. What, that's what irritates me. Yeah, it, well, it, it does work. Works. I mean, there's one sense in which it, it produces yeah. a certain kind of business. It works for know? them. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like this is, you know, kind of going back to a point, perspective clients. You know, they, I'm amazed at the decisions they make based on so little information. They reach out to us, we have a conversation, and they don't understand what they don't understand. And if they knew what they didn't know, just, you know, and how do you know what you don't know? I get it. But when you learn a little bit more deeply about the infinite banking concept and how dividend paying whole life works, their decision would have been completely different. But because an exclamation point 20 years ago, wow. Um, you know, because whatever the graphics, whatever the music, the confetti, you know, they are all in, it gets their attention. And then too, I've had lots of conversations where the consumer who has engaged with um, Finfluencers, but I think Finfluencer may be an upgrade to some of the people that I'm referencing. I don't know. <laughs> but once they've engaged, you know, they see the red signs. They they just see the red flags. They're they're like that doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound right. But they want the idea. They want to become their own banker. They want to control the banking function in their life. They want. They just want some freedom, right? And and so the buzzwords are used. You know, there's an air of legitimacy. But these red flags, they're going right by, and then they're still making the decision to do whatever they do. Mm-hmm. Then if they continue to learn, and then I see, too, that um, there's not everyone wants to continue to learn, right? Maybe they're just going to learn by application. But the people who continue to learn, they're, they're then they can see that, yeah, I did, I raced, flew right by the red flags, and now understand what I did is either not good or could have been much better. Mm-hmm. I mean, how, how I, I deal with that almost weekly. I had it. I uh, do a lot of yoga, and uh, this one kid, bless his heart, he's, he's a neuroscience uh, PhD. And he was probably get along fabulously. Didn't I? Oh, just wait. <laughs> <laughs> nice guy. Yeah. It was good. Um, Saw him at you know, Rockwall where I live, pretty small town. So like three coffee shops. And so I saw him at a coffee shop once and like, hey, what are you doing? You know, it's like, well, I do a performance coach. He's not going to listen to this. So it's fine. I, I was like, I do performance coaching for entrepreneurs and business people. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Good for you. Yeah. He's like, have you heard of Grant Cardone? Have you heard uh, of Mr. Beast? He's like, he got really excited. Yeah. These yeah. online influency people. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. It's like I, I probably have a, a a different view than they do about well, like what kind what, of business do you do, and you get all the markers and hire me, and then I'll just take a percentage of all the increase that I'll bring you. And well, to his credit, there, I think know, he, uh, to his credit, I think he kind of knew that it, I'm not someone you approach and like try to pitch, like especially in person, like six five. I'm like. Are you saying you're? I don't think I come across as someone who's like asking for a sales pitch. Like uh, <laughs> everybody listening, just identified with that. Who gets up looking for a sales pitch? Yeah. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> but some people look more. Oh yeah. Like sure, victims. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like oh. easier to easier to get. But anyway, so he's explaining this to me, and so I'm like, yeah, I probably don't agree. He's like, well, what do you do? Like, oh, great. You know. I'm, 
begged asked for that punishment you know and uh, so i told him and it's like yeah you know me and my, my business partner we we do a podcast but there's there's not money behind it you know you could explain this you know we've been doing it for a long time they're long form don't really care what the algorithms oh are that was you explaining to him what you i was like yeah i'm okay. explaining everything to him and how we you know attraction rather than promotion not really interested in the whole click funnel being a part of the all the modern crazes about how to be you know quote unquote successful online as a solopreneur mm. Uh, I'm going to start putting exclamation points. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't really, you know, I, I can't really hide how I feel when I'm <clears throat> people ask, you know, ask my opinion. I'm going to tell you. And he very quickly was like, well, I think you're leaving a lot of value on the table. There's oh, a lot of, oh, there's a lot of people that you're not helping that you could be helping. And, and I'm like, okay, that's one way to look at it. The other way to look at it is there are people who do care, who do want to know, who want to go deep, who deserve attention first. Yeah. He's like, oh, yeah. And I'm like, oh, oh, oh yeah. Completely yeah. foreign. Yeah. And, you know, and then a part of my point to him, too, was like, I don't want that lifestyle. I'm not going to live by the algorithm. I'm not going to live and die by what some Google engineer in Silicon Valley decided to throw into their search machine. Like, is that going to cost me business? I don't care. Like, if I, if, if I woke <laughs> up one day and said, you know, the thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to make a lot of money. Right. Well, I go deal drugs. I go run for government. You know. <laughs> oh my God. I go work for the Fed. Like I, I, there would be, I'd be doing other things. There's ways to make more money on to look better on paper than to do this. But that there's other parts to this. It's not all about that. And he's like, oh, oh, yeah. I'm like, yeah. Well, I, you know, it seems to me, which I understand that perspective from the young man, and I don't know him, hadn't met him, and wish him the very best. Um, he is caught up in that marketing deep, right? So eyeballs deep, yeah. And so, you know, he's greatly focused on that. And I have found, um, working with people over the years that you can help them. Um, long term, more substantially, um, if you spend the appropriate amount of time, if they spend the appropriate amount of time, and I'm not putting everything on the consumer, but the responsibility, you know, there's a, you know, carpe diem and caveat emptor, right? Mm. Um, you're responsible for what you do, and you know this. Um, you're responsible for everything that you think you own, everything that you're, you know, responsible to manage. I mean, you're responsible. So, uh, you cannot negate your decision making process you know to online marketers influencers or whoever has the next pitch which i really hate that word pitch um, in sales because i consider myself a professional salesman among other things and i believe the word pitch belongs on the baseball field mm -hmm. but that's just me personally and i know all you salespeople that have heard the proper pitch and had all this training on how to properly pitch your product will disagree with me and i'm okay with that um so I think that there is is uh, that's where the I think the the enduring value is with, you know, knowledge and experience. And I, I'm not going to buy it, it. It's I'm not going to buy anything out of impulse. I mean, I'm human. I get it. I'm, I, I do that. I'm just saying that major purchases do not come from impulse. Mm. Right. If I'm going to pay if I'm going to buy a life insurance premium and I promise you I buy life insurance. um you know, I'm just not 
going to willy-nilly throw money at it like people do today in the working world. You know, I say the working world. We're all working. There's no disparagement there. You know, we all uh, go to work and they have retirement plans and, you know, you have to opt out of them now. Well, everybody else is opted into their qualified retirement plan. So everybody's doing it. So it takes no amount of research to, you know, uh, talk yourself out of it or look at the alternatives. And and so I'm just saying that's not really an impulse, but it's just so easy. It's more difficult to do something different. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that's where the value in this success is. Even if you make a mistake, in my opinion, in general decisions that, you know, are substantial, um, you know, so I'll press for time like everyone else, um, you know, and, I, and, you know, we've talked about the uh, opposition or the comments on the long form, the, this podcast being long form. And, and I'm pretty resolute that, you know, you can stop at any time. You can digest it in increments. And there are some sections that are worthy to be listened to more than one time. And I'm talking about more than two times. Right. And and I have lots of clients and I'm sure you do, too, that I hear continually, James, I'm going through all of the episodes for the third time. Mm-hmm. And my first question is, why would you do that? Because I don't even listen. Um, that's but I get it. You don't listen because you're hyper self-critical, though. That's different. Right. I mean, if I wanted to learn something. I'm going to read it and reread it and highlight it. Like some of these books that you refer to me and I love to read. I'm like, okay, um, it's an education just reading some of these words and getting to the definition. One thing is a side note that I was just had a conversation with my daughter, Riley. You know, she's an academic, um, young, but she's an academic. And I, I was just sharing with her that it's, it's really interesting when you get into a genre, economics, medicine, whatever it is, that the uh, prolific writers – it's a pretty small circle, mm-hmm. you know, generally. And you can see if you if you read enough and you pay attention, it took a bit for me to for it to dawn upon me. But they use words competitively within their circle. You know, I'm going to one up you on the big words I use. Mm-hmm. And it's like a game. Dude. You can't deny it because you're an academic and I know you've you you've seen it. And, and I think it's quite interesting. So, um but if I want to learn something, I'm okay with long form. I'm okay with reading or listening more than one time. Um, and I'm even okay with making a mistake. You know, if I've done everything that I've known to do or understand to do, or I have my method of making decisions and I apply it and I make the decision and make a mistake, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the cost of education. But to listen to a 30-minute presentation from a influencer or a wannabe influencer and make a substantial investment, and I'm, life insurance is not an investment, into anything, make a substantial purchase is beyond me. It is beyond me. Well, I think and I had a conversation with a new client this week, and this came up. It's like I get to wondering why people behave the way they do like with respect to what you're talking about, making a quick decision. Mm-hmm. And I've mentioned before this idea that of being backed into a corner – Right of this fight or flight response mm-hmm. of being under a, a like a state of perpetual financial stress because we're so hyper undercapitalized we haven't even been told to think in terms of capitalizing it's like you take an animal that and you like ripped it away from its genetic evolution and it didn't know that it had to store up food you know so that every day it had to go out and scavenge 
to survive, to subsist. And you can imagine that kind of organism that's in that hyper-stress environment, hyper-stress mode all the time in an ever more threatening environment with ever more things that could hurt you or take that organism out. There's this constant tension of, I've got to act now in order to survive. I've got to do something now. I've got to move quick. Uh, and then when so when something comes along in that context with a flavor of a solution to it, yep. like kind of smells good enough, it's like, whew, let me jump on it yep. quick. And when it, it add into this the context of the internet and bandwidth is ever and ever more cheap and the lighting and the camera and all of this is becoming less and less expensive and anybody can do it. Anybody with a camera in the basement can do it. And so by the way, it's okay to like put a shirt with a collar on that, you know, but Your everybody coaching is this, is this a coaching program too for advisors? Oh, is this, this is <laughs> the price isn't high enough for that. Uh, no. uh, What's it pay? <laughs> but everybody can do it. And there's more and more yes. of it all the time. And the conventional environment is ever more fraught with hostility and it's getting worse and worse and so people are getting squeezed more and at the same time it's like sugar saturation you know there's sugar and high fructose corn syrup and all the food and so we're we're starving and then oh here's this plate of chemicals that's going to make you feel real good right now and it's going to make you want more marketing marketed just to the nth degree. Packaged and yeah. bowed up. It has the exclamation point and the confetti and the bright colors and, and the great sounds. free. And everybody's doing it. And you're the only one that's not doing it. Yeah. It's yeah. extreme. There's a spirit yeah. of seductiveness to all of that that's very insidious, right? Uh, it's, one of the many spirits that are attached. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that's why. And so people are star. There's the starvation for elucidation for understanding for a solution for the truth and this you know these the marketers who are themselves bolstered by this if it's voluntary if it's commercial it's therefore good uh there's you know all this other stuff about service or anything that might go deeper that's beyond the mere superficiality of the morality of a sale. Like it, it's, it's good to sell and salesmanship is good. So I'm going to go sell. And as long it, as the price gets paid, then that's a good thing. They're caught up in the same thing. You know, if I don't sell something, I'm going to die or not live tomorrow. They're doing right? the same thing. <clears throat> Absolutely. Ooh, they're in the, the same environment. Absolutely. I yeah. know, uh, you know, look, I've been in sales my whole life, you know, uh, of course, I'm, I don't allow anyone to pigeonhole me as only a salesman. I'm just stating the fact that I believe professional salespeople is um, required, uh, preferred, and valuable. And so I don't, that's not a negative connotation to me. Okay, being a professional salesperson. So I have early, my whole career, especially early on, um, you know, it, you, you know, you're trying to provide a good service to people. You love people. That's what yeah, I think most everyone that goes into the financial services industry, I'm going to extract Wall Street in, out of this comment. Uh, but, the, but the everyday advisor, you know, that's in your town, across town, I believe they really, it's like medicine. They want to help people, right? And then things go wrong or whatever. But early in my career, you know, you can't avoid the sales training, right? And, and, 
you don't even have the knowledge that of the whole construct of what's really going on. But this idea that, you know, you're out of business every day unless you sell something, mm-hmm. you know, it, it feeds into that, that stress of survival. And then maybe, you know, you don't know your product or the industry or whatever it is. There's a learning curve to everything. I don't care if you're selling windows, cars or whatever. Right. Um, the early on, I mean, there's a reason why sales organizations give a salary, right, or a draw plus a commission, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's a bit of that scarcity that I'm survival stress. It's such a um, good point that the the online click funnel marketeers are in the same yes. hyper stressed threat pervasive threat everywhere environment yeah. as are the consumers. That's such a good point. But, but it's true. I mean, if you oh, think it makes total way. complete sense. Yeah. yeah. So the, uh, and I can see, I'm just going to get my insurance license and I'm going right. to generate some cash flow. And- oh my gosh. You know, I think we had the conversation earlier this week. You know, I mean, I think I got hacked on Facebook a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, I didn't change my password. I'm not going to call my wife. I know what my Facebook password is. <laughs> you know, I'm such a non-tech guy and I'm okay with that. Um, because it creates stress for me. Uh, anyway, um, I, got, I got a lot of these, uh, uh, and, and I keep, you know, I have a personal Facebook page, and then I have a James C. Nethern Associates Facebook page. I don't, I separate the two, mm-hmm. right? And um, and I think it was on the uh, James C. Nethery. I'm getting all of these friend requests or followers, right? And you look at them, and, and, and they're from all over the world. You know, they don't speak English. And there's no connection that you can see because the accounts are only two or three days old to the financial world or any other thing that I have interest in. Okay. Um, and then I want to, I want to also say while I'm on Facebook and I do get on Facebook, I know I'm a boomer. Um, I entertain myself from time to time on the commentaries with the financial entertainers, you know, they, cause they advertise the all over Facebook of entertainment, but Okay. Yeah, well, the influencers, <laughs> right? The ones that have 80 million followers a week uh-huh. and, uh, or less. And the commentary. And I mean, I have screenshotted some of these comments because they are so entertaining. You can clearly see the people who have drank the Kool-Aid on buy term and invest the difference. You can clearly see the consumer. You can clearly see the, the, uh, the we call them termites in the industry, the, the, the people that promote term only, right? <laughs> and then bash whole life and... And then, and then you see the, I mean, it's just an evolution or, or you can just see the segregation of the groups by their comments, right? And mm. it's amazing to me. And then like the, the people that love uh, IUL and, and then the people who understand IUL and then the people who don't understand IUL and then they combine everything IUL with whole life and it's all the same. And it's just amazing to me. Okay. And you know, when, when some of the comments are really good and entertaining, you know, I mean, you do a little trolling and you click on them. And I ran across in this one thread, of course, there's a very long thread. I didn't read all the comments. And thank you for the friends and clients that, you know, shout out uh, Ryan, James and Banking with Life. I appreciate you very much. Um, you know, directing to people, well, if you want clarity on whole life, go here, right? But clicking on some of these commentators that are very interesting, and I think that there were there. I know I screenshotted three, so there are more than that. You get to what they do, and they're mm. digital creators. 
Hmm. I was speaking to exactly what you're saying. You know, I'll go get an insurance license and then I'll create whatever, uh, replicate whatever system or repackage a system that I'm paying for and add a profit on it and whatever. I'm a capitalist. I'm not opposed to profits. Um, It's like they have no idea about life insurance, but that's what they're promoting. And they are the ones that it's not it's not like your uh, academic article there that is fabulous that, that's given a full reference. You know, here's you want to learn about these things. Here's where you go. And here's what you can expect. To, here's an idea of what you can learn. Mm-hmm. See the difference mm-hmm. that I mean. And so if I'm a consumer looking at it, it doesn't matter. It's still social media. It's commentary on Facebook. It's commentary on an ad of a particular product. Um. I mean, the only thing that, I mean, what is a consumer really going to learn? Nothing is my point. There's nothing there. And it's all marketing. Oh, I can get a life insurance license. The only thing harder to get than a life insurance license is a driver's license. Okay. And then I'm going to go get a contract with a life insurance company that's starving for sales. <laughs> way, at least driving's fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. And then and then I'm going to, you know, I'm going to whatever. I'm going to connect with somebody that that's a real influencer and has a lot of listeners and oh my god. Caveat emptor. Buyer beware. It's not good. Yeah, I think it's in economics we talk a lot about specialization and you know, you and then with it, the idea of opportunity cost. And if we're spending all this time and money on improving the marketing machine and how well it performs on the online programs, it's like, what's the opportunity cost there? Like, what's being sacrificed to do that? And when, when I talk to underwriters and company executives and hear about what goes on in other agencies and the quality or lack thereof of applications and the the feeling, if any, with regard to service. Um, it's like if if a a tenth of the time spent on the marketing and the social media and the internet stuff, if a tenth of that was spent on improving professional relationships on improving the quality of business conducted the industry would be transformed including improving your understanding yeah your skills of like conveying a product i mean self-improvement is the point yeah i i had a client earlier this week new client and just Talk about threat, you know, the threat environment. Some people get very hung up on, very deeply concerned about modified endowment contract tax status or MEC tax status. Oh, yeah. Right. And the tax status is very negative. We get it. Distributions, once cash value exceeds cost basis, are taxable. There's always a 10% penalty if it's before 59 and a half. Like things change for the worse in a lot of ways. And, and we get that, you know, but some people. They hear about it and it's very amorphous and the probably on purpose and the the legal history and like why modified endowment contract tax status is determined as a function of the pace of growth of cash value relative to death benefit and the particular reasons that relationship is analyzed in a certain time frame and not others is all very 
opaque and there's not a lot on it and it's confusing and then you know just to understand the history alone is one thing but then to understand how it works in the context of ibc in the present day is like more complicated and i mean i explain i think i do as well as anybody in explaining the essential concepts that are bound up in this idea of non-mech versus mech tax status and what can be done to prevent it but this one gentleman was just it was almost like nothing was enough, right? And yeah. the response came back, you know, well, once I see it on an illustration, I'll understand. And it's like, oh, probably not, you know, because not all you're going to see on an illustration is a MAC limit, MAC premium, seven pay premium in the first year. Its number's going to change. The and first seven, right? The initial oh, seven pay premium for that first year yeah, yeah. with respect to the first seven. And as it, soon as that change, as soon as we shift the time frame to the you know year two through eight rather than one yeah, through seven, right. the, it's going to recalibrate. And so my point to him was like, look, I'm not trying to be an asshole. I'm not trying to like, you know, just flick, flick at you and poke at you. But looking at the page is not going to do anything for you. Yeah. They might yeah. see an ampersand or uh, asterisk, you know, somewhere in the future year. And if when the policy would become a mech potentially, but then the agent or the advisor will probably just, you know, reduce the premium or reduce pay up or manipulate the illustration to avoid, to avoid it. the ampersand yeah. or asterisk. And so that really, and, and I'm in complete agreement with you. So the internal revenue code has a formula to determine a modified endowment contract. Right. And then as you said earlier, before the, uh, cameras were turned on you know the society of actuaries have a 600 page book that there's two pages that speak on a modified endowment contract so you know the the illustration is not going to answer the question if you go to that book and find those two pages and go to the internal revenue code and look at their formula and you can find all three of those components you're still not going to be clear on a mech my opinion. I could be wrong. No, you're right there because I've tried. <laughs> the uh, and I have with uh, one individual uh, product designer at one company in particular. We have a great ongoing relationship where we discuss hyper technical stuff like this. But to say that you've got to be an actuary in order to understand when a particular policy would become a mech, like even that in a sense is not true, right? The the formulas are are designed and embedded in the software with respect to actuarial data analysis of tens of thousands of lives and, and then, <laughs> yeah, right. and then yeah. the formula right. is applied to an individual particular policy and based on that illustration as illustrated as illustrated right yeah. and so and then that's going to change in the future dividends sure. are uncertain the amount of pua from dividends is going to be different than what's on the page and whether or not you pay the pua illustrated that's going to change and uh, all sorts of factors. Come, there, and at the end of the day, there's no way to guarantee against a mech. There are things you can do to prevent against it. but And then there are things that you can do in the event it happens inadvertently to reverse course and preserve non-mech status. Outcome won't be as optimal, but at least you can s- save the tax treatment. I mean, so there's things you can do is the point. And there's things we do practice in order to improve mech resilience you and i <laughs> okay. yeah. um, i i continue this and this is kind of you know in this fin fluence in this vacuum with a, there's a lack of rigorous education 
you're getting this kind of business with very small base premiums, the annually renewing term riders, short dated term riders, policies that it's just a matter of time before they become modified endowment contracts. And it's going to give the, because the major marketers, because the major finfluencers to the degree there are any in the IBC or IBC adjacent world because they're predominant because there's a high volume. You and I know some of these people who have, you see the numbers and it's like, what? I'm aware. You know, and and so some of them, I'm aware of all that I want to be aware of big old, a lot of sales volume. You look at their presence in the market. It's like, this is all just, you know, thin threadbare minimum necessary buzzwords to get the sale done those policies are begging for mech status in five to seven years. Yeah. And when it happens, it's going to be a big black eye, you know, on the industry. And it's, it's going to be equated with just in the way an IBC capital P practitioner is a life insurance agent and all life insurance agents are scam artists and just want to make a commission. You know, there's this error of association this guilt by association yeah. thing it's going to happen with the finfluence marketing that we're seeing and the kind of policies that result and the companies allow it you know preach brother look the companies are becoming aware and, and let me say and they know that the companies that i do business with i purposely don't speak about them i'm not ever promoting a life insurance company i'm promoting the idea that the listener can become their own banker and control the banking function in their life and it's worth uh discovering and researching right that's uh, my promotion and the companies that I do business with, all the way up to you know as high as you can go, you can't get any higher sometimes, right? And and they know. I mean, look, uh, if you ask me my opinion, I'm going to tell you, right? And if you ask me back to give my opinion, it's not going to change. Okay, so they know. Bad business um, is bad business, and will always be bad business. No business is better than bad business. Mm. Period. Um, and when an insurance company, a marketer, an influencer, anyone under this desperation flight or 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 die right mentality or that stress level, it's like, well, we'll do business and we can make it better and fix it later. No, it's a oh, no. that is so pervasive. I'm telling you. And then and then when you're when you're saying that that these policies and awful lot of them are begging to be a mech, whether it's in five years or seven years, um, what if what if a policy doesn't mech until the individual mm. owner is in their 60s or 70s or their passive income time? And I'm telling you, the majority of them won't last that long before they mech. Okay. But let's say that, you know, they did. And then you happen to have a tremendous outstanding loan balance and it becomes a mech. That means in that year that it becomes a mech. All of the distributions above your basis are taxable as ordinary income in that year. So this is the very reason why I don't promote some books in the infinite banking footprint because they're wrong. I'm going to expect to sell a business or I'm going to expect some pie in the sky event to happen in the future. It's like, no, the future is still unknown. Okay. Um, if they don't become a mech, which uh, they will, unless it's a mech is prevented, there are things that you can do. You know, you can RPU, you can read. There's a lot of things that you can do. And 
and my clients, and I'm sure yours as well, are aware of those things that you can do. Okay. Um, whether they become a mech or not, these policies structured this way, the natural or the death benefit at natural mortality is less than skinny. It's like you, you, you should have bought term and invested in 30-year bonds or corporate or tax-free bonds. You know, so the MAC potential is through the roof. The forced reduction in premium, and hear my words, forced reduction in premium is inevitable. Mm. The reduced <laughs> death benefit at natural mortality, which is not your business nor mine, all right, is going to be extremely disappointing. Right, so this idea goes back to this idea that the death benefit has no value. You are sadly mistaken if that is your position, and I would encourage you to think differently. All right, the death benefit. It, you, you know, you can't buy life insurance without a death benefit. It doesn't come any other way. So this idea is very fundamental and very primitive, and 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 um very basic that well james i'm not interested in the death benefit i don't love my wife or my children enough to leave them anything they don't say that okay they say things like i don't care about the death benefit i want zero death benefit i want all cash value today spend my money yeah yeah i mean i've literally invited escorted encouraged or uh ended conversations within my office when the the wife is sitting right there. The man is sitting right there. And he says, oh, I don't, I'm not going to leave her. If I die, I'm not going to leave her future husband or boyfriend rich. I'm like, uh, we're done. Yeah. You know? Oh, and then you're going to force your wife to remarry. Or you're going to uh, force her to marry and have another man raise your children. I don't know. I'm just asking questions. All right, so don't tell me that the death benefit has no value. Mm. Right, so whether the policy is MEC, the death benefit is going to go down, period, period. The probability of a MEC just skyrockets at natural mortality. You want pennies? Well, if that's the case, hell, give everything away you have now. Mm -hmm. Why wait till the death? Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, so bad business is no business. I mean, it's just not worth it. No business is better than bad business. These life insurance companies are figuring this out. Yeah. Right? It's like whole life uh, has such a, of course, as you'll say, they're going to cash the checks in the meantime. The life insurance company, absolutely. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. And they'll, just like they'll fix the problems later in the product, mm -hmm. they'll fix the problem later mm -hmm. when their business practices produce those negative outcomes. Exactly. Then they'll deal with it. I, I don't know how many times I've told them, I'm like, you keep giving these guys a contract, <clears throat> you know, so maybe you should stop there. How about that? Mm. Yeah. And then and then the idea that, so these influencers, everybody's becoming aware. Nobody wants to get up and be sold of anything. You know, of course not. Um the 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 way that life insurance is marketed and it has the life insurance industry has a history you know they are not a pure to driven snow right um, there are reasons and not only because of sales practices that max even you know we've talked about max you've written articles i mean just uh, the genesis of a mech, you know, government and the lack of the insurance industry to defend themselves. It still goes on today. They're afraid. You know, it's like that, that uh, memo that, you know, you've written about and I'm still working on my commentary. I get it. Um, you know, they, 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 they're almost ashamed of themselves or 
um, they don't they don't understand life insurance and they're a dead gum life insurance company, but they're trying to be financial services uh, industry uh, leaders that want to be all things to all people. And wait, you've got all of these marketers that are doing this and now all of a sudden you have a problem while you're still cashing the checks. Yeah. 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 The sense of shame and guilt around just bona fide, plain old whole life. You know, it's been so pilloried and just trashed by all the, you know, FTC and Ralph Nader and all the, you know, Crown, like you've mentioned, Crown Financial. Gary Nor. All, all, yeah, whole life, you know, how stupid. And it's so ad hominem and just lathered in this negative, just. They're just uh, re-parroting what they've heard. They're just parroting, not really. They're parroting what they've heard. And how often. In life, do you encounter something where the vitriol, just the mm. the vehement vitriolic nastiness is just poured on the thing that really, where, where all the value really is, right? I wonder the, why. Yeah. It's all, I, is there a, was there a book written about a story about a man who was... You know, killed because he was so hated when in fact he was the savior of the world. I don't know, but uh, yeah, maybe this uh, maybe this is an archetypal story. Is my point? Maybe this is nothing new, right? Where the the thing that is so good that could that is so valuable that is so easy to understand, really at its core, so simple to understand at its core, uncomplicated is just vilified and crushed and all these forces marshal to tear it down and, and, and yet it survives. Right. And yet the comp, there are the companies who still do it, who last over a century. Like, it still persists. It's still there despite this organized march to tear it down. And, you know, the, the people who are involved are evil. You know, it's not that they're merely wrong. It's not that they're incorrect. No, they're evil. They're, they're out to get a commission. They're just out to sell you something to get your money. You know, and, it, but, and then of course the opposite, you know, the glorified investment manager and oh, the, the yeah. academics, universities. University of Chicago, who get the Nobel prizes for, you know, packaging the intellectual it, cover, the encouragement to, to continue that kind of work. Well, to substitute, <laughs> you know, they they provide the nice uh, ivory tower, uh, pr- uh, packaged and approved intellectual cover to substitute as substantive theory, so that those investment people can go sell the products. Right there holier than that in fact we got to have the you know the 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 government programs to give you a break so that we can even facilitate and make that all the easier you know it's it's so insidious and and then so then you have these companies that miraculously literally miraculously still manage to offer dividend paying whole life and the sense of shame and guilt that they feel about their own core. I mean, it's like the self-hating phenomenon. Yep. And th- there are companies, there are bona fide companies that most of y'all have never heard of unless you watch a whole bunch of insurance-related stuff on YouTube that don't feel that way. That are the exception, right? The yep. company, bon- true companies that you can work with that sell policies to which I pay a lot of premium, you pay a lot of premium, like. The, the the no name non glamorous unsexy mundane but bona fide and legitimate 
sources of the solution are out there. Low profitability for the issuing company. Just steady. Yeah, they're they're too busy selling whole life to go sell enough of the market-linked, market-correlated assets to generate the kind of returns that you would need to finance the whole marketing machine in the first place, and so they don't do it, right? They rely on competent agents to go out there and share the message in a bona fide way. Hmm, what a concept. It, 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 but it's it's so... Dis- the word is disappointing, you know, to, to be in the same industry and to see those institutions, once great institutions and ever declining institutions uh, that have such such an opportunity. And they don't. You know, it is the their felt inadequacy is based on their own incompetence, their own lack of understanding of the product that made them great in the first place. And we're so detached from that history, from that tradition, from the understanding of what the product is. And they've so easily just uncritically accepted like a dry sponge, just soak in this, the, uh, the, 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 the ocean of negativity and criticism from government and uh, so-called consumer advocates, they're going to protect you, you know, you stupid consumer. We got to, we're smarter than you are, so we've got to protect you and advocate for you. Uh, we've got to unbundle that whole life, that cash value component uh, from the death benefit. It's too complicated. Yeah, let's let's unbundle that it, dumb out. it down for you. Yeah, permanent death benefit's uh, more expensive than temporary. No kidding. Uh, it, it's like, uh, I read an article and I'll share it with you. Uh, it was shared with me. Um, you know the and, and it kind of, it goes into marketing because the the future of marketing is really now right the 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 finfluencers you know the result of that is going to be what that results in and the, this article that was shared with me was um, an opinion completely biased. Uh, a glorified commentary of opinions based on his biases. It, but it was um, disguised as an academic article. Oh, right. Yeah. 37 pages. Um, written, well written, but completely full of errors. Right. And, and the more I see and read these articles and commentaries that come against infinite banking, Nelson Nash, they always, always, always have an undisclosed preconceived conclusion that they want to bring you to Hmm. and agree with. Okay. Just disclose it up front. Look, just say it. Yeah. Yeah. Just say it, you know, and there's just going to be more. It's hilarious to me how they, (laughs) these, the type you're talking about, want to put themselves forth as unbiased. You know? Yes. I'm unbiased. Yeah. I'm, I'm just a wash and angelic purity of yeah. non-bias. Oh, a complete know? transparent transparency, <laughs> right? And then there's no transparency with the whole life and the commissions or the dividend or the structure or whatever. But yet they promote products that are completely not untransparent. They are just so... Uh, the opposite of what they're promoting themselves to be. Well, there's a version of that within insurance and this idea of whole life, well-capitalized whole life too, that says, uh, 
you know, we're, we're just unbiased to the company. We're, we're just going to go with the one that illustrates best, right? Whichever, oh, the, where yeah. the numbers are <clears throat> highest, you know, yeah. we'll put you with that company. We have no allegiance to particular companies and yeah. all of which sounds really great. Oh, he's not shilling for a particular company and okay, fine. Yeah. Well then all that does is move the goalposts, right? Rather than make a decision based on analysis of a company, we're going to move it to comparing differences in size of numbers yeah which is so i don't think people realize how remedial oh remedial. that was the word i was looking for earlier i mean it, it's so i'm almost fascinated by it like you're boiling down a decision of who to create this capacity to execute and control the banking function based on observing which number is bigger yeah like you, th- that's you really that that that's what it takes. All I got to do is put put my stuff into the machine, into the black algorithmic box machine, and they're gonna show me some numbers, and then all I have to do is pick which one's bigger. Yeah, it's a it's a Barney and Friends cartoon <laughs> caricature of financial analysis. It's terrible. I mean, when I go through with new clients, like the criteria we use to evaluate companies, look. As of right now, it's not a secret. I have a preferred company. I ain't going to tell you which one it is because this could change in the future and this video is going to live for a long time. But your clients know who they are just they as well as know my who clients they, and, and know I know who we work with. And there are reasons for it. Why? And I'm direct about it. Yeah. And, he, you know, it's none of this. And that, by the way, that takes time. We have to go and like think through what criteria would matter and why and what are the second and third level implications and how is that going to affect things over the long term the things that things very broad all of the things that are going to occur in the unknown future yes i mean some of which are clear this is likely to happen that's likely to happen but if this i mean that is left out when you're looking at this number is bigger than this number yeah i'm going to distill all of that right i'm going to crank the burner boil all that away and all that's going to be left is a little crystal of a number yeah where oh that number is bigger than the other number, and and then the, the the wonderful banking with life hater pages online where my illustration proves that they're wrong, <laughs> right? My this display these numbers on a page from this, all of which are non guaranteed based on all sorts of assumptions. That's proof that what we're saying is wrong. Yeah, it's like. I mean, maybe we're just so used to this vacuum of financial competence where we got to resort. I mean, it's like... No question. We got to come back down. Like, at least I can tell that five is bigger than three. Yeah. I mean, it's like the whole financial industry wants you to abdicate your responsibility to them. They want you to become dependent upon them. I mean, it's crystal clear if you look at the whole process. I mean, just back up a minute and and it's like, oh my gosh, wait, you want to... You want me to be, oh, I've got a great financial guy. You know, we've never lost money. Uh, well, you can't really say that, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, yeah, you know, we like him, we trust him. And, and it's good. You can't do business with people you don't like or you shouldn't do business with people you don't like or trust. I mean, I mean but the the encouragement, the unspoken implication of and the whole construct for you to become dependent upon them, abdicate your responsibility, which is what we've all done with the banking function. We've all abdicated our responsibilities to, to yes. perform the banking function yes. because we were unaware 
Mm. You, you got a solution at the you and me level? Oh, oh my God, it's life insurance. It's the worst of the worst of all financial products, right? No transparency. And it gets paid by commission, by greedy salespeople who take advantage of Ma and Pa. Have you seen what the market's done? <laughs> I mean, yeah. don't you need a tax advantage for that? Have you heard of the business cycle? Oh my uh, gosh. Oh. I would imagine this before we, as we get, you know, here's a little carrot for the people who have followed us here for the last hour. But uh, I mentioned Patrick Boyle earlier. We talked about this other article where, you know, the Finfluence thing. Well, he mentions another article by a guy named James Choi, C H O I, in the Journal of Economic Perspectives. Uh, the article is titled Popular Personal Financial Advice Versus the Professors. God bless all of them. Uh, he <laughs> he goes about, the basic of it, he goes about and examines the 50 most popular personal finance book personal finance books as listed on this website called goodreads which is like a central clearinghouse for book reviews uh in like may of 2019 i think it was so it's you know back a few years but still these are very popular millions and millions of copies sold and he goes through and groups some key advice across the 50 uh different books great and article. then great. yeah wonderful again james Choi. well go you heard me say it go back and yeah it's available journal of economic perspective which by the way is free you can, you can actually get this it's not it's an academic journal but it's meant to be accessible to the public uh, it's available on the american economic association website or aea.org anyway he goes through these 50 books and groups in and sort of categorizes the types of advice that these personal finance people, these very well-regarded personal finance authors give. Uh, and then each of the various authors has a different twist on each of the various categories, right? Okay, so he's got a table in here where he lists out the different buckets. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight buckets, eight, eight general categories where the authors all have something to say and they all vary kind of in what they say. What I want to point out is I'm going to read this list, this eight, these eight buckets, and I want you to think about what's missing, Okay. Oh what gosh. what category? What buckets could be missing? Mm. All right. So topic number one is saving. Right? How much should you save? What's the form of saving? Two, portfolio equity share. Three, dividends from stocks. Dividends stock from dividends. stocks. Yeah. Four, equity styles. So what sort of publicly traded uh, company should you buy? International diversification. So are they domestic or are they foreign stocks? Active mutual fund management. Or passive. Or passive, yeah. Mm. What kind of index did you buy? To the what? Stock market. Okay. Non-mortgage debt pay down. So what's the attitude towards non-mortgage type debt? Credit cards, personal loans. Uh, and then mortgage choices. What kind of mortgage are you going to get? 15 year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 30. Those are your eight. Uh, HELOC. <laughs> what's missing from that list? Mm, two extremely important fundamental for success in my opinion Thomas. what would they be for you for me the lack of the banking is never mentioned there, thank you and then the business cycle uh, that was literally oh we're on the same page that's exactly what i was yeah well i'm no accounting for how to weather the business cycle you could do a keyword search for fractional reserve banking or business cycle boom and bust cycle you won't find anything and then 
The presumption here is what you get to do with, first of all, you can save so you can not spend money. Whoa, what a revelation. Two, what do you do with the save? Well, you, of course you invest it. Of course. Of course. It's just, a, it's a mere matter of should you buy stocks that pay dividends or should you buy domestic or foreign stocks or should you buy an index of the stocks? Like that, <laughs> that those are just the assumptions. All nested within the give up control of your capital whatever you do save whatever you whatever you manage however little bit you manage to defy the spirit of american profligacy <laughs> right whatever little shred that's left over the spirit of american profligacy yeah how, how, how do you go invest that right you're going to send it you know you're going to send it to wall street or you're going to send it to the saudis right abroad okay you know great set of choices there and then uh of the cart of rotten apples, which do you want? The fixed mortgage or the adjustable one? Yeah. And guess what? The, the, by the way, the professors tell you to choose an adjustable rate mortgage. <laughs> All right, so get yourself into the one with the variant, you know, because that's never caused any problems in the past. Oh, yeah, it's probably not going to happen now. The people who bought variable rate <laughs> uh, mortgages, uh, and some of them, you know, I'm just saying... Uh, uh, because I know personally, not myself, uh, by fix, long term. Okay. Uh, just think of it. If somebody would have uh, took out substantial mortgages and variable rates uh, a couple of years ago, and there's a term, seven-year, five-year, 10-year term, right, that is uh, uh, going to be enjoyed in the next year or two. But then they have substantial cash values mm. that they have access to by guaranteed contract at loan interest rates of five and six. Mm. Huh. Huh. So, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. Anyway, I just had that conversation a couple of weeks ago with a dear friend. Yeah. So here's the 50 top books compared to The Economist. And, and everyone's arguing amongst themselves about how we, we should rearrange the deck chairs on the Titanic, right? Which style of investing should we do? And should it be domestic? Should it be abroad? And, and, and what color handcuffs do we want to wear with the mortgage lender? You know, do we want the fix or the adjustable? Never mind that regardless of the loan rate regime, regardless of what the stupid APR says, we're going to bloodlet ourselves with the volume of interest that we fork over, right? And of course, we're all thinking in terms of just our own lives. We're not thinking of what our kids are going to go through either because this is only going to be worse for them. Now, but Now you're talking about duration. I can't think past, sir. Yeah. Okay, so there's a third bucket. The question of intergenerational capital transfer. How are we going to get whatever little breadcrumbs I managed to accumulate during my lifetime to the next one? Uh, all of these, by the way, assume to some degree that whatever you build during your lifetime, you're going to consume. I almost said the word squander, but that's not far off. <laughs> consume <laughs> during late They're life. interchangeable. Right? <laughs> right, the, the, the question, the the, uh -oh. the ostensible the the, yeah. the possibility of the morality of leaving something leaving leaving a context better than you found it right leaving your people better off than they were when you came around like that idea there's nowhere in the top 50 best personal finance books and the economists if they have anything to say at all it's nothing helpful it's like that's what's out there yeah. And then we wonder, you know, why the challenge exists, you know, in the infinite banking concept. And then so this, that. what passes for popular financial advice is laundered through the social media marketing apparatus, Ooh. all of which profits the major ultra corporations that are in bed with the government today. Mm. It's like, 
So passive or active? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you want to invest yeah. in these big Gosh, which index should I get? You know, and uh, then, so then people, and that's one of the reasons why they say, and, and God bless them, you know, you, the engineers, you want to put together the spreadsheets and you, you're going to, rather than looking at the numbers to tell which one's bigger, you're going to have the spreadsheet tell you, okay, you know, put a color on it. It's like, we get so into the weeds, you know, we're dissecting the molecular structure of the bark. We're so narrowly focused on this little frame that's been designed for you that we miss the big old forest, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, but, but you want to put that on an Excel sheet or worse, a life insurance illustration. You know, even I know I've been accused of that. It's like, oh, you know, I'm getting off into the weeds when I harp on structure, duration and the things that matter, you know, beyond the big number on an illustration and a little number on an Dude, illustration. Just make it simple for me. <clears throat> well, I normally get pushed back from, you know, people who uh, confess to be agents and advisors <laughs> or marketers, you know. Um, yeah. So. Look, the, the, I mean, I had a conversation the other day, you know, Nelson talks about different items that were, he illustrated financing and becoming your own banker, right? And so here we are in a, in a rising interest rate environment and most of the home office life insurance people have never been in this position. We, we were coming out of a 15-year interest rate low-ish, 15-ish years. Right? They have interest no rates at all. They have no context. So these portfolio managers, now some of them are older, and they, they can vaguely remember. But, I mean, most of the executives um, at the life insurance companies have not been in this situation, right? And, um, I mean, and we, we, we talk all the time. Um, and I think in the episode 167, you know, I kind of went through – uh, unintentionally that day, but uh, mutual funds and bank runs and the things that I discussed in there, a lot of the home office, uh, they don't. Huh? Just what? Yeah, they what? don't, they don't, they've never, I mean, because they're doing what they do and what they're paid to do and what they're trained to do. Um, I'm just saying we're in a interest rate environment that's rising and, um, a lot of us don't have experience in that, but earlier this week, I believe it was this week or last week, had a conversation with a, a client on an automobile financing example, you know, and they're in a position that they can finance their children's automobiles, right? <clears throat> well, and you know, children want what they want and the parents, you know, we want to give them what they want and all the criteria that we put in place to make that happen, um, or not. And anyway, we went through, you know, the car buying process, which is an absolute, total, utter nightmare. It's it's terrible. Um, But then you get to the financing, right? You have X number of the cost of the car, the the duration of the loan, and the interest rate. You know, and some of these loan interest rates now are 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12, and 14%. And that's just the APR. That's just the nominal rate. Yeah, that's a nominal rate. And I'm not even getting to that. Yeah, yeah past that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, no. And you just, a very simple, basic, remedial, fundamental illustration, example, conversation of rate versus volume. That was the one that we went through, which was a legitimate offer. And they purchased the car. They just didn't finance it this way. That I think it was eleven point four percent, something like that. And, and and you gotta drag these uh time payments out forever to get it where it's affordable. 
it turned out to be 67% interest by volume. Wow. You know, and Nelson talks about 34.5%. Right. Yeah. Even in the last several years, I frequently found it to be 50% by volume. Yeah, the numbers, you, you figure the numbers got to go up because the prices of everything has gone up, right? And especially the, especially the things we borrow to buy. Yes. Right. The more the houses, the cars, everything that's a big ticket item, these durable consumer goods, let's say, uh, but including businesses, right? Any anything of substantial value, anything that we call Excuse durable me. in economics that you've got to borrow money to pay for. Well, the nominal price, the dollar market price of the thing is shooting through the roof. Hmm. And in or, just like you said, you got to drag that loan duration out for as long as possible it'll it won't be long before we have 50 year mortgages i'm sure of it because they you, have them in australia yeah because you've got to get the you've got to drag that duration yeah. out because the debt is the, the amount of debt required to get the payment done is so high people have no savings to begin with so uh, down payment lol right we got to get that monthly service cost down low enough for you to still survive for the next few months at least and <laughs> so you can squander so, more money yeah, and so it i think Consume. there absolutely is a case to be made that over time as that continues to happen the volume it's almost baked into the system and that's of course it is almost the the volume yeah, <laughs> the volume of interest as a percentage of what's uh, of the of the principal borrowed is of course going to increase and that, that i mean that is the story of monetary centralization and consolidation over control over capital. So it's only going to get worse. So the problem's bad enough. It was bad enough when Nelson wrote the book. It's gotten worse since then. And where do you think we're going? You know? It's going to get better. It's all, yeah. <laughs> but like Nelson so, said, everything in finance is relative. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If well, you're the one with cash values, when... Uh, U.S. gold makes the rules, right? Capital, capital, capital. So, you know, the alternative of this individual was, you know, there's, and, and there are multiple generations practicing this concept, i.e. paying high premium, understanding the value of access to capital, understanding capital control, personal capital control, okay? Um, and, and then having the discipline. You know, I can't imagine these finfluencers really have the discipline <laughs> to to forego a decision today to build capital. And maybe I'm or God hope I'm I hope I'm wrong. Right. But I just I'm not there by observation of yeah, their activities. No. Okay. Okay. So this particular uh client, uh, several generations, you know, it was crystal clear to them, right, that oh, I can access capital at five, five point two percent. And then then I can control the duration. And now maybe oh, I can control the duration. Maybe the duration becomes more important whenever I understand the benefit to me. Wow, what a good and my third and fourth generation, me personally now, and I'm not skipping generations, I'm not trying to drag it out forever, so there's no value. I'm not saying that. now. Uh, one generation that is willing to pay the interest, number one, disciplined as a child to repay a parent on a loan. Mm. Okay. And then intelligent enough through experience and education that I will maybe pay additional interest above what the life insurance contract or company is charging my parents. 
And then the result of that additional interest that I'm calling additional interest, quote unquote, i.e. the market rate, 11.4, 11.5, what that dollar amount would do in terms of premium mm. to a life insurance policy over time, of which I am going to be a beneficiary, am a beneficiary. Now, wait a minute. If I can pay a premium into the PUA, paid up additions, additional death benefit is paid up. And if I put a dollar into the paid up additions rider, and it doesn't even have to be, don't, don't misunderstand me that I am not implying that PUA is a greater value than base premium at all. But the PUA is where the flexibility is. Now, I can always go out and buy another policy. So, I mean, I just want to be crystal clear. I'm not valuing PUA above base premium. But if I'm making a loan repayment, there's principal and interest, right, in that payment that goes directly to the life insurance company, right? Mm. Now, I'm already a beneficiary on the life insurance policy. So, it's automatically going to go on buying Strasa one way up in the death benefit if it's structured properly. There's going to be a greater amount of death benefit in the future than there is today. Uh, and I'm the beneficiary. Now, if I'm intelligent enough and I'm not no disparagement, if I understand what's going on and I pay the additional interest, quote unquote, to the PUA, a PUA in a system of policies, it's going to buy a multiple of paid up death benefit. And I'm the beneficiary. And it comes to me tax free, the death benefit. I mean, so do I want to read all 50 books? No, but I'm interested in a lot of them. That's a great article. I can't wait to read the whole article, yeah. right? And it's like, and I can't wait until maybe there's 51 or 52 or 53 books in an article like that that addresses the business cycle, that addresses the business or the banking function, and then addresses potentially the ability at the you and me level to control the banking function. It's like, okay, haters, bring it on, you know? Okay. God, intergenerational implementation of IBC incentivizes I'm just, now, now, controlling so, the banking function within the family. Yeah, so now just think now, okay, when I go back to duration, you know, maybe I'll drag it out for 11 years because I'm going to get, yes, I'm going to pay the interest over the 11 years to the life insurance company. Oh, it's a mutual company. I'm directly supporting the profitability of that company. Therefore, I am indirectly supporting my profitability or my share of their financial experience in a given year through the dividend that's not guaranteed. It's crystal clear here. It's not guaranteed. Okay. It's interest paid to the company that I'm a part owner in. Maybe your companies, you don't want them to be profitable. I don't know. And then now, do I have to really get above third grade math? I really don't. And I'm not going to, right? And I don't understand why the academics, which in some of these articles were really the, the professor's views on economics and personal finance is opposed and contrasted by the, uh, the popular uh, popular. Uh, I just struggle not to say entertainers. Okay, but some of them are really good. The richest man of Babylon is on there. So they're not all entertainers. Okay. So do I have to get lost in indexing, passive, active, managed, tactical? Do I have to get lost in Harry Markowitz's efficient frontier? I mean, do I have to have a PhD in economics right, to be successful? You know, do I have to even know... Uh, the fifth level of understanding of life insurance or even life insurance beyond a 
a, a, a basic understanding. You know, no, do I have to have a license? Do I have to be an engineer? Do I have to do any of that? No, no, no. And so I have many clients. It's like, well, you know, the people that I'm associated with, they, you know, I can't talk about banking with them. They're, they're college educated. They have degrees and they <laughs> poo-poo everything I say. But I'm sitting here making hand over fist, controlling the banking function. And, you know, I'm disappointed because I can't share it with them. They wouldn't hear it anyway. Right. <laughs> and, and, and look, in this particular case, I mean, in, in talking about automobiles, I don't know how old you are, and I hope you live a very long time, but just think quickly, briefly, how many cars have you owned? Okay, perfect. How many cars have your spouse owned? And I get it. The, the first car you might have bought, purchased, might have been 2500 1500 800 I don't know. Maybe it was a gift. I don't know. We'll go shop for cars now. Okay, so how many cars have you purchased over your lifetime up to this date? And when are you going to quit driving, by the way? Oh, when you're forced to. Okay, so how many more cars are you going to buy? Maybe you get cars to last five years. I make mine last 10 and 15 and 20. I don't care, right? But my point is, how many automobiles is your wife going to drive or your spouse? How many automobiles are your children? I talked to a young man the other day, young man. He's younger than I. Uh, Six children, and he's married. That's eight automobiles, sir. And if you buy, what do you buy a car every 10 years? So you and your wife buys a car every 10 years. You're buying a car every five years. You've been driving for 40 years. You're going to drive for another 20. Just look at the cost of driving an automobile and controlling that. Mm. So in my point here is this young man in this particular case, how many more cars do you think he's going to buy? And tell me, are the prices going to go up on the cars? Are they going to go down? <laughs> oh, insurance is going to go down, too, right on the automobile insurance, right? Yeah, yeah it's going to go down, too. I mean, it's so – we can complicate anything. And I'm, I say it many times, I can complicate anything for me between here and the door. And by God, I can sell myself anything between here and the door, too. All right. Just simply – Build capital. You don't have enough capital. You don't have enough capital. You don't have enough capital. I don't have enough capital. You don't have it. It's okay to focus on building capital. Okay, just understand that I know, and I know you know, and if you'll think it through, that's not a short-term need or goal or worthy endeavor. I have clients in their 90s. You know what? They need capital because they still love their people. They still want to do things. They are still doing things. The need for capital is not going to go away. I don't care what the currency is. It's like, is, is it okay just to build capital? Oh, what? And then, and then when you look up and say, oh, my gosh, I've spent some time building capital. I understand what I'm doing. The longer I do it, the more I understand. And it's like, wow, I've got a lot of capital. It's doing pretty good. And now I can vet opportunities that present themselves. Uh, And if I want to or choose to, then I can deploy that capital. And I don't have to call a banker. I don't have to roll up my sleeve, show them the number, check my credit score. I don't care. Uh, It's life-changing. Anyway, that was exciting for me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I need to hear it, all right? So that was good. Fin, fin, good, good, fin influencing, sir. Good nano fin influencing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a nano, whatever. Uh, You know, I'm glad that we still have the opportunity to record things and put it out into the big wild world at no cost. You know, it's like, yep, you can vet every word that I say. You can check it out. You can check his reading or his writing out. And, you know, and you can, like, throw stones and sticks. It's okay. You know, I'm a big boy. If I'm wrong, I'll, I'll, I'll show me where I'm wrong. 
And if I'm wrong, I'll acquiesce. I can be corrected. I don't know everything. But it's like, you're going to disparage me and my character? Eh, you know, grace for me and law for you. Don't judge me by your own character, hater. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> all it's right. all in love. Yeah. Well, and the young guy's hungry. I'm right? Look hungry, how skinny man. he is. He, of course he's hungry. <laughs> <laughs> all right, y'all. Thanks Go. for listening. Bye. Thank you for joining us on the Banking with Life podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe and click on that little notification bell. Otherwise, join us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher for weekly content.